0: Uno, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. No hable español. Somebody
1: call the po po.
0: Crazy. I'm going crazy. Baby. I'm going crazy. Little Dirks Bentley going on. On the road. Traveling from place to place with nothing more on our mind than hunting. That's right. Are we thinking about a countdown to three, two, one? Somebody got a little found out. You're crazy.
1: listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord aero Rest, the bow hunters' number one follow away rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment, in their patented All right, folks, we are on the road again. Usually what you find with Jason and I is lately we've been on the road a lot, which is not a bad thing, but, hey, no better time to sit and put
0: on the headsets and do a little podcast while we're on the road, huh? Man, traveling around the world, it's a lot of fun, people think, until you're always doing it, and then you start thinking, man, I just want to be home where I could put an elk steak on the grill, man i'm not even hungry after everything we've done this weekend but hey
1: yeah so um welcome folks this is the rna outdoors podcast and uh i'm your host lucas paw and i am here with my usual suspect sidekick mr jason quick from the nra welcome jason rocking and rolling all day long glad to be here so we uh got in the truck and uh drove over to las vegas for a couple days jason had a little bit of Um, work that he had to get done and some business, so I just kind of tagged along and uh, hung out and ate food and gambled a little bit and uh, won a little money, actually.
0: Yeah, well, that makes one (laughs) of you. Congratulations, you know. I made my deposit to their light account, so... Hey,
1: somebody's got to pay for the LED lights that run at,
0: you know, 20 cents a year, so... Exactly, exactly, but... Speaking of Vegas, uh, you know, for all of our listeners out there, we want to make sure that you know you keep your thoughts and prayers with the people out there in Vegas and all the ones that were traveling in town that uh, from that senseless uh, shooting that happened. Um, Vegas is a very resilient place. I will tell you that you know being there was sombering, but at the same time it was really great to see all the people in nevada sticking together and helping and really coming together it was almost it was kind of surreal a little bit that really when you go downtown it was almost like nobody even really like there was no change
1: yeah i mean it, it i agree so you know two weeks ago significant incident in las vegas and uh two weeks later you know you and i are there we went downtown one night and uh you would have never known that that had happened you know um and and the reason for that is is vegas is a is a place where people come from all over the world right international destination location absolutely and people you know are probably not gonna look at it and say man i'm gonna stop my trip from going because this happened i mean you know, we live in the United States because it is a safe place and we have a great military that allows us to do the things that we do. So um, it was, but what was interesting also um, through, you know, our travels over the weekend, you know, you and I had stopped at a few gun shops and we had talked to some of the uh, the local owners there at the gun shops and it was interesting talking to them about, you know, have you guys seen an impact, you know, on sales? And it seemed pretty unanimous that uh, people are uh, still in buying, handguns, buying ARs, buying ammunition, and it hasn't really, you know, put a damper on some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, and sometimes, you know, when things like that happen, people kind of go a little over the other extreme where they're thinking, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose everything. So they, of course, start hoarding and, and buying in large quantities, and we didn't necessarily see any of that. Most of the facilities that we visited... Um, Locked and Loaded was one of the main ones. I mean, they had plenty of stuff on the shelf if anybody was looking for it. And uh, it, it was amazing to me that that really the Nevadans, you know, really realized that this was just a senseless act of evil. And they looked at it just like that. And they, almost everybody we talked to was like, you can't stop evil. Yeah. You know, evil is evil. It's always going to happen. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And I don't know how many people said, well, the first responders that were out there, you know, they're the ones that are the heroes that that made sure that that didn't get worse than it was.
1: Well, it's like the president of the ATF said, you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Right. And and that's really what i know what you're you've been fighting for for years and a lot of us are trying to continue to keep our rights to protect our second amendment is is you got somebody who legally purchased all of these firearms you know and uh you know was a u.s citizen paid taxes and just had an act of evil you know done on this and uh you know, it's hard to sit there and blame a firearm or blame a piece of ammunition for this when it requires someone behind that to make that act happen. So yeah. I, I agree to what you said. You know, our thoughts and prayers are out to those that were both directly and indirectly impacted by this event. Uh, and, uh, you know, the hashtag Vegas Strong, I think that's rung pretty, you know, resilient throughout the the area. Like you said, people are bounced back. And that's, I mean, that's Americans. We tend to bounce back pretty hard and also you know at the same time we support everyone that's going through this kind of stuff and you know it's an impacts all across the world one of the things i know you and i saw was a lady that lives up in sonoma county area that her house burnt down and oh by the way a week ago was at the concert where she lost her husband you know and so there's people like that fighting a, a tough battle right now that we just need to be sensitive to and always remember you know that uh, like i said we are americans and we're going to you know fight to help those people and and hopefully make things better right make it a better place amen to that so okay so with that um, our show today is planned to really just talk through 2017's hunting season so far kind of do a recap um, of what we've you know done this year and then also kind of look at what hunts we have left throughout the course of the year which you know we've got a couple months left and Jason's got some hunts lined up I've got a few left to do and then we're also going to kind of do just a quick projection into 2018 thinking about um, you know what states um, talking about points where you know we may potentially have an opportunity to draw some tags and uh, hopefully uh, you know share some of those memories that we've had this year again into 2018 so with that, um, kind of to start out the year, um, I drug you out of the house this year and took you turkey hunting.
0: <laughs> Turkeys. <laughs> Which- I, you know, I apologize for all those people that are turkey junkies out there, but had never really gone out and turkey hunted until this year with Lucas. And uh, of course, he being a crazy guy with a stick and a string, trying to kill a gobbler. How many times do we go up that same hill? I mean, two two or three dozen every time you give up, he gobbles back on the same
1: spot. Exactly. The funny thing about turkey hunting is, is um, well, they call turkey hunting well, they call turkeys the feathered elk, right? And I think the reason they do that is, is there's a lot of similarities to hunting turkeys as there are elk. Now, granted, um, clearly it's a completely different type of hunting, you know, that you do, but at the same time, you hear a bird gobble. And, okay, there's a gobbler. So, it, immediately, it you know, it, it's kind of like elk hunting. When you hear a bugle, you're like, oh, yep. time to go chase that bugle. Time so, to go. Same thing that we did. Um, you know, we hunted public lands for a couple months. And, uh, yeah, we chased a ton of turkeys, a ton of birds around. Um, didn't get the opportunity to um, harvest one this year had the opportunity to just chose not to I had multiple um, opportunities to shoot some smaller younger birds and uh, just didn't take that opportunity I was kind of looking for a little more of a mature longer bearded um, you know tom this year and had a few opportunities just didn't make them happen but it's I enjoy hunting in spring um, for a couple reasons one Um, everything's green everything's lush we had a great year of moisture we had a ton of water this year so everything um was very lively this year Uh, and the other reason i like to hunt in the spring is i get to see elk i get to see deer i get to see uh all different types other species animals that we hunted uh, or that we typically hunt throughout the course of the year but it was pretty amazing um how much water we had, you know, this year in turkey hunting um, versus you know years in the past. So yes,
0: it was absolutely crazy. I mean, come on, let's face facts. California has been in a drought for how how many years? For seems like forever. Exactly. You know? So for us to be able to actually, um, how do we want to describe it? See all the beautiful green grass and the water everywhere it was just nuts dude i mean seriously that was this is the most we've seen well in 10 years
1: exactly and i the last few years that i'd hunted this stretch of public land i mean it was dry riverbeds so you were crossing you know you were you see you know turkeys in this little island you oh yeah we'll just buzz over there well this year it was like A couple times I fell in up to my waist because I was thinking, well, that's not as deep as I think it is. And then I would go in, and then the water went up to my waist a few times trying to get across. But, uh, yeah, it was just an incredible year uh, of moisture going into late 2016 and then into the the, kind of the winter months of 2017. Just a lot of water, uh, which, again, provided for a lot of grass, a lot of vegetation for the animals this year which i think was part of the reason that um you know as we maybe kind of segue into um some of the deer hunting that we did um there was a ton of good bucks this year and i think you know part of that proportionally is is due to having a year where there's plenty of feed and when there's plenty of feed there's plenty of water these deers typically you know you'll see them at 20 to 30 inches a year based on that so
0: yeah, I, w- I would say I was actually surprised at the deer population, um, especially the bucks, but there was a good deer population out this year. And what's really interesting is all the young bucks that we saw. What I mean, I think over over that couple of week period of time yeah. when we were hunting, I mean, I think I, I'm pretty sure we located over 11 or 12 different spikes. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean... Now we know this is California, you guys. I mean, come on. I mean, I tell everybody that I take blacktail hunting. If you pass a fork on one side and a spike on the other in hunting season, there's a in rifle season, there's a high probability you will not take home a blacktail deer.
1: Yeah, it's just absolutely. the way it's been. Yeah, and, and this year especially, um you know, our archery season opens in July, which this year was, uh, it was kind of early July. So, you know, we're dealing with, you know high 90s low 100 degree temperatures during the day we get a cooling spell at night but um, care for meat is so important when you're hunting these black tail in the archery season in july and august because you know if you hit one through the night and don't find them the next morning you may have a spoiled animal laying on the ground if you don't get to that animal
0: yeah and and we you know it's funny we're since we hunt with a lot of people from out of state, you know, and, and go places like Arizona and Nevada and Utah, you know, and we, we go elsewhere, Montana, you know, when you tell a person, well, you know, I hate to say it, but our deer season's over, they just look at you like that deer in the headlights, no <laughs> pun intended, like, what? I don't understand. We, you know, we just finished archery, but in California, especially where we're located in the southern region... Basically, our season's over. Yeah, seasons hunting, are different. Deer hunting with a rifle ended September twenty. Was it twenty first or twenty second?
1: Yeah, it was the weekend that uh, yeah I got back from Montana, or yeah. we got back from Arizona. So yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's funny. I I shot my blacktail this year on opening day, and I had sent some photos to a few guys, and they're like, "You already shot a deer? It's July." I'm like, "Yeah, it's California. We start our tree hunting in July," and then. Again, and it was a hundred
0: degree day too. Exactly,
1: and most people that have never hunted in California or hunt, you know, in our state, understand that that is, you know, when our season is. So, yeah, it was a it was a good year. I was um, very happy. I mean, I harvested a good deer on the first day. You and I had, I would say, on average, probably three to four stalks a day on deer when you and I would go out. Um, I know you had you would filmed a couple times where um we literally stopped got out of the truck walked down 100 yards pushed out two bucks and uh you know I had had a deer at uh what appeared to be about 65 yards I think I shot at 60 yards and uh, the arrow went just below him but oh
0: come on let's be honest I was filming I was behind you you said how far I said 60 it was really 65. <laughs> I <laughs> miscalled it. It was my bad. I screwed up. I'll let you tell the story because yeah. I wasn't going to tell the story. Oh, no, well, I, I screwed up. He would have had a second buck on his wall this year, but, it, you know. That's okay. His his helpful friend was following behind him, trying to keep a safe distance, and lo and behold, uh, thought that he was further in front of me, but what I didn't realize is when he froze, I just kept sneaking up to get the camera right over his shoulder. And, yeah. I had already ranged them and I gave him the wrong yardage. So, but yeah, I mean, we had we had multiple encounters um, of
1: deer uh, on multiple evenings. Like I said, I know you and I were would go in um, five six o'clock, and uh, you know, within you know less than an hour, we were we were stalking on deer. And the funny thing was that I found was is a lot of the deer were out feeding earlier this year. They were out, and of course, it's archery season, so they're not feeling the crunch like they do during rifle season, but. Um, a lot of those deer were coming out and feeding, you know, into the early evening where we had the opportunity to have, you know, multiple stocks with those deer at any given time. So that made it, that made it pretty neat. Uh, And, uh, you know, like I said, we were into a ton of deer uh, throughout the course of, um, you know, the, the archery season and uh, just made it nice uh, for us to be able to, you know, have those opportunities because normally, uh, you know, if some folks get, maybe one to two stocks a year on a buck in archery season. I mean, they've done well. So, um, so yeah, we had a really good deer season. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk about, I don't know if you've read about this or not, but, you know, when California went to the mandatory harvest reporting, um, which went into effect last year, which is a requirement this year as well, um, the, the data that they gathered last year, I had heard that they are proposing not allowing two deer tags in a zone anymore have you had you heard that or i
0: have not heard that yeah. No,
1: i had um i don't know if it came across in the the california hunter email that i get or something that i had seen they were looking at potentially proposing um stopping um us to allow us to have two uh, deer two, two deer tags for the a zone or i guess you know your second deer tag so um, that's something that we may need to look at a little more and see if that's you know something that we want to maybe send a letter or send in a you know some type of note on uh, because you know i think you and i saw this year you know clearly there was there was a lot of deer this year and you know they always get shot up um you know in our in our units that we hunt but it's um, public land you know i mean there are a lot of people a
0: lot of people i had not heard that but it does not surprise me um okay do we really want to get into california fishing game Uh, probably not (laughs) You know, they have no control over the predator population. That's just a reality of life. Um, everything's been taken away from us. Mountain lion hunting was removed years and years ago, which is a total senseless crock. Yeah. The only time a mountain lion gets taken is when Fish and Game deems it a problem animal. And then guess what? They hire a private person to come in, trapper. her to chase the cat down and, and kill it okay yeah we have no control over our bears bear hunting is off the charts right now i mean i tell everybody that's going blacktail hunting in northern california have you ever killed a black bear and if their answer is no i'm like well you better buy a black bear tag because in a five-day hunt there's a higher probability of us seeing a couple black bears than potentially a couple of legal bucks yeah and uh, my brother just called just a few weeks ago on, on one of the weekends that he went out, and they actually saw three different black bears in one of our little places, actually the place that my son killed his big 4 by 4 last year. Um, and he said, well, surprise, surprise, there was no bucks there, you know. Yeah. All the bucks were gone. The black bears were there. And, you know, I mean, if you can't control your predator population— Your deer herd suffers. I mean, anybody that doesn't think a coyote doesn't kill fawns is sadly mistaken. Anybody that thinks a black bear can't chase down a deer, you're sadly mistaken. And and then we get to the biggest predator, the mountain lion, and the mountain lion will kill a deer a week. And we saw
1: that evidence last year on your Goodale hunt, right? I mean, we saw two decent bucks that had been, you know, suspect or taken due to a mountain lion.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, the one had a mountain lion actually on the carcass. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's kind of undescribable there yeah. when, when you go to a place that you've been seeing a lot of deer and you're thinking possibly a new buck had moved in and you get there. There's not a deer in the valley. I mean, it's gone. There's no life in there at all. And you're thinking, well, this is strange. And all of a sudden you find out, surprise, surprise, hey, look, we found a mountain lion. Hey, yeah. look, the mountain lion's on a on a buck that it's killed so anyway okay we digress we We shouldn't
1: do that but it's all good so yeah so blacktail season was it was a good year um a lot of our friends had harvested some good deer this year um you know some of the our local friends and some one of the couple of the outfitters that we know they had um you know had some really successful um you know clients this year harvest some good deer so it was good to see us have a year where um like some of the antler growth has come back and we've seen some some better deer this year and um, I don't know about you, but I think the blacktail this year, eating-wise, those tenderloins that we had, I'm not Ooh. sure that I've had a better blacktail than the than the blacktail that, that we've had this year. So it's been really, really good quality meat for us.
0: Well, yeah, that, that was some fantastic meat. But I think that, too, I think some of the horn growth that we saw this year was some of the best that we've seen, too. I mean, we've seen some bucks on social media this year that are just, Off the chart. Yeah. Right? I mean, you showed me a couple of pictures from A zone, B zone, and a couple of people that we know that took deer this year. And the genetics that we hunt where we're located um, are not that strong. But in the other areas, you know, the forage was so good, the moisture was so good that, I mean, the deer put on some great
1: horns this year. Yep. Yep. Mass was good. And, uh, you know, they were definitely healthier you know I think we saw less deer this year where you know they look like they were emaciated and didn't have a lot of you know food to eat I mean the the deer this year definitely uh, were much healthier which again is a good outlook um, for next year in in the hopes that there were a few bucks that you know maybe didn't showcase themselves in the archery and rifle season as they're in their heavy rut you know season now and uh, hopefully those bucks will you know turn up next year and We'll have some opportunities to, to hunt some good blacktail next year as well. So,
0: and then you just said something interesting that people will probably be going, "What? You know, it's October, early October," and you said the rut. Well, guess what? This is technically the time that our blacktail deer in our southern region actually rut. Yeah. You know, they're chasing does around, and we actually have a a doe and a fawn that that live kind of in our our neighborhood on the edge of town where you and I live, and I'm sure within uh, within the next couple of days that there'll be a buck yeah. snooping around. He'll be he'll be there to breed those two does and then move on. Yeah, yeah. and every year it, usually you see a buck come into you know
1: behind our house up in the hills there. And I last year I saw that buck and he was chasing a doe and that's just you know, that's that's the circle of life, right? I mean, every doe goes into heat about the same time or at some point within that, that's, that cycle, and there's typically a buck within close proximity there to, to handle that. So, yeah, so a lot of good things um, in terms of blacktail, a lot of positives going into next year uh and uh the other part is i have a tax bill for one this year so <laughs> which isn't a bad thing but
0: and i think it's hilarious because i i might have said something like you know when you said man i really want to kill a big blacktail tail and i was like buddy you it's gonna take you a few years to pull that that feed off that's not that's not an easy thing to do and then here you go out on opening day and and whack an absolute absolute great buck especially with archery equipment i mean yeah. that would have been a good deer anywhere so sure no so it was good congratulations on that one yeah thank you
1: speaking of congratulations and and uh hammering down this spring pig hunting your kids were um killers this spring i mean both amber and wyatt um had a lot of opportunities and made them happen on pig hunts this year and uh Put some meat in the freezer for sure.
0: Absolutely, that both both of them had a great great opportunity. And and actually, you know what's funny? I mean, living where we live, I mean, pig hunting is pretty popular. Um, but I don't really I don't pig hunt that much. And besides, most of the times the pigs aren't that great tasting. This year, holy cow! Yeah, the forage for the pigs, you know, the barley fields and everything that the pigs were eating. Man. Premium, premium meat. I mean, that both those pigs that, that my kids took, in my opinion, were better than getting a pig from the grocery store. Oh, I mean, yeah. they were. It was fantastic. In fact, the funny part is, um, my daughter killed hers first. We had the backstrap and tenderloins. We actually, in like a month, ate both backstraps and all the tenderloins from hers and. I think we've only got one roast left. I mean, yeah. we've ate that whole pig of hers in in less than a couple of months. But the positive note is the boy shot one too. So yeah. you were with them yeah. on that hunt and you actually did a a birthday video for him. That yeah. was pretty cool stuff. I don't know if anybody's had a chance to see that, but that was fun.
1: Yeah, on our YouTube channel. It's it's uh um, Happy Birthday. I think it's is it Happy Birthday boar? I can't remember what I call them. That's I should know what I called it. Anyway. <laughs> it was neat, though. There's, there's a pig hunting video that I made for Jason's son, Wyatt. Uh, it's about six or seven minutes long, and it kind of shows we you know we took him in. We had a, a spotted pig uh, in one of the fields that we could just barely make him out because the, the field was so high, and the alfalfa had grown in quite a bit. But uh, Wyatt made the shot, you know, a couple, couple hundred yards, wasn't it? Two, three hundred yard shot uh, at least.
0: I think it was 240, I yeah.
1: think. Yeah and uh, he made it he hammered down and that pig didn't go very far and uh yeah just great eating i was thinking back to when you said uh, how good they tasted this year when alex and johnny were out in february january february and uh, had had hunted that hog and we had cut some of that up and ate some of that meat that was some of the brightest red pork meat i'd ever seen in my life yeah. and that was an excellent eating pig the tenderloins back straps and i made a lot of that into summer sausage um it was phenomenal it was yeah. absolutely phenomenal
0: no i mean uh, wild game meat for those people that are listening that they're like oh my god this is my first time you guys are talking about eating wild game meat you know you can get you could get bad meat anywhere you could get bad meat in the grocery store you know, yeah. I mean, bought some chicken in in Arizona and at Walmart. You know, and, and two days later, it was it was rotting. I mean, it was gross. I yeah. mean, I should have taken it back, is what I should have done. But we we're in the hills. But man, the the leanness of the elk and the the tastiness of the pig. I mean, it's it's just been this has been one of those years where, like I said, we just were in Vegas for a couple of days and. We had great meals, don't get me wrong, but the whole time I was thinking, I just spent $30 for a steak that is half as good as the elk steak is waiting for me at home that I've been dry aging for the last two weeks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the, the pig hunting this
1: year, just in general, um, was great. I mean, we'd spent a lot of time helping a friend of ours, Brad, with some of his hunts. And uh, just, I mean, I was a part of, I don't, I'm not even sure how many... Um, pig harvest this year I mean it, it was double digits for sure and I actually was fortunate to turn up a pig myself and got into what you guys thought was like five yards but I was actually at about I think 28 to 30 30 yards and uh, that boar came right to me and uh, it was funny because we were sitting on top of the ridge. We were getting ready to basically leave, right? We were packing up, yep. and I think you had spotted um, that that dark boar, uh, and he was feeding his way up from the water. I just dropped in, sat behind a hay bale, and uh, he basically walked right to me. And- it
0: was. I mean, I have to say, from my standpoint, I was on top of the ridge line. I saw the pig coming. He was moving at a good clip, and when you said, "Well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go down there and sit behind that bale, bale of hay," I, I thought. Pfft dude, there's like 10 different directions this pig can go. This is a waste of time. But when you drop down there, I started looking at that boar. I'm like, man, it's kind of coming this direction. And then as it gets a little closer, I'm going, well, now it's narrowed down to probably three drainages that it can go. Now it's getting towards two. Holy cow, it's going to run right to him. Yeah. And the best part is when I'm sitting there with my range-finding binoculars and I'm looking, I'm looking, and all of a sudden... I th- say to myself, okay, the pig is coming right at him, and he's not drawn his bow yet. And all of a sudden, you and the pig are in the same exact view of the binoculars. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this pig is, like, got to be five yards away from him, and he hasn't done anything. And all of a sudden, you draw back, and I'm like, oh, this pig's dead. I mean, literally it had no clue it just walked right into your bedroom yep. and you just laid them yep. slayed them
1: it yep. was awesome pumped him and yeah that was actually the first uh harvest with my new Ar- uh, matthews halon bow that i had purchased that spring so that was neat to kind of get that all dialed in and get the first one on the board uh and uh then i got my blacktail this summer uh and Which kind of takes us to the fall which was a pretty epic fall when you think (laughs) about it um, from an elk hunting standpoint. September this was definitely what I would call a September to remember um, for a lot of different reasons Um, but really mostly was you know Amber's hunt her Arizona hunt that uh, she was the successful recipient of the one non-resident tag for an early rifle tag in uh, unit 22 and uh, you know you and I had Really high expectations, right? You, we went and uh, scouted for a weekend, and then we kind of looked at each other and said, "Well, huh? If we turn up a 330 bowl, then we were probably doing good." Now, granted, we'd only spent two and a half days scouting, so we didn't get to put a lot of glass out there. But for what we saw, um, I was a little skeptical on the unit, wondering, "Is this, you know, a unit realistically that we could shoot?" a 350 type bull or greater and uh, that was my that was kind of that was my assessment of that of that unit when we went and scouted
0: you know when we went and scouted of course i i wasn't too i i did, we didn't well what we only saw that one good bull that we yeah. thought was you know 320 330 class bull but we saw a lot of elk so my internal thing from all the research and all the studying and everything like that said that we should be able to find something fantastic but while I said that you always question everything and you know so I do what I did you know I planned on being there you know four days prior to four or five days prior to the season to spend my time put in your dues and try to find the the best bull possible well you know in five days of pre-scouting when you finally on the day before opener see your first mature six-point bull elk you then go to the holy crap maybe my expectations are not what they should have been Mm -hmm. but
1: yeah so i mean kind of fast forwarding a little bit i i had spent um around 14 to 15 days in montana and uh went up there and got a good six point bull down and then i hunted some antelope for a few days spent some time with my family and then um, i shot down to payson drove from Dillon. literally went from about 20 degrees and snowing to anything as high as i think 85 degrees (laughs) then when i dropped into flagstaff it cooled down again and then when i i met you guys at camp it was starting to cool a little bit but Um, was a 16 and a half hour you know drive on the road for me to get down there but once I got there um, I was I was exhausted at the same time when I heard elk bugling that night it got me fired up again and I was pretty excited for for that hunt.
0: Absolutely well you know uh, as my daughter said she's we went out opening morning and we knew you weren't coming in until that evening but I told her I said hey look we see a great bull we're you know we're going to do it and she's like oh i really want lucas to be here and and what's funny is we got into a place we saw a whole bunch of we saw like 5 or 6 raghorns and a whole bunch of elk but the wind was all wrong for us and there was no way to get around it and she looked at me and goes well the elk Cunning gods are not with us because Lucas isn't here yet. And I just started laughing. I was thinking, that is hilarious. I mean, I had probably told her a couple of times that, hey, no, if we find one, we're going we're gonna to put the hammer down. But she was really wanting you to be there for
1: it. so Which was awesome. I mean, we, we did a whole podcast together on, on her successful harvest, and we won't go into a lot of details because you all can listen to that episode. But that was just a fun week to spend with, you know, obviously you and Amber, um, and then, you know, friends that were there and family that were there and just to be literally walk out of our camp where we were and, you know, within minutes be hunting elk is essentially the way it was in any direction that we went. Um, you know, there was, there was really good, really good elk populations. Granted the, the quality of bulls, um, you know, we didn't see, Just a plethora of that higher class, older age class, you know, caliber of bull. But um, when it all came together uh, on, you know, that Tuesday, you know, evening, uh, it sure happened the way it did. And it was pretty amazing when that bull showcased itself and Amber made that shot.
0: Little bit of lady luck goes a long ways. We'll take it every time.
1: Yeah, that was just phenomenal and fun hunt. And uh, you know, like I said, just to just to be in Arizona um, with a basically a rifle tag in your pocket in the middle of September um, is something special. Most people will never experience that in their lifetime.
0: Well, and I and I did tell my daughter. I said this is really, really something that you got to cherish because, I, and I hate to say this there's a probability that she'll never have an opportunity like that in the rest of her life. Yeah. And I've never had that opportunity yet. I mean, I'm yeah. I, I'm, you know, been doing this for quite a few years and I've yet to hunt bugling elk in the rut with a rifle. I, so, I mean, for that opportunity to happen for her um I don't know. I as I said um in the other podcast uh I, it was more stressful for me as a dad on that hunt than almost any other hunt that I've been on in, in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Maybe my sheep hunt was more stressful for me just because of all the effort I had put into it. But boy, trying to trying to make a a goal of your child's come true, it it was it was pretty pretty stressful to start off with, especially when you know you call in elk to 30 yards and I'm telling her. No, do not take the gun off safety. (laughs) No, we're not shooting this bull. But let's practice what we would do, you know. And when I would stop the elk in an opening, and I'm like, could you put the crosshairs behind the shoulder? Yes. Okay, take your finger off the trigger, sweetheart. We are not shooting. Take your finger off the trigger. You know, it's like just kind of one of those fun things.
1: Well, and you had some objectives, you know, that you wanted to meet. You know, clearly you and I had since— We found out she had drew the tag in, you know, February, March. Um, You know, we had high expectations, but you had some things that, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, you wanted her to experience elk bugling, right? You wanted her to experience a bull coming in to a cow call or some type of call sequence, get the bull to stop, you know, so she would have that experience going into the shot, and uh, you know, and then clearly, you know, harvest of a successful elk, and I, I'm pretty certain that we met all of those objectives, you know, for her, yeah. and she got to experience that that real, um, you know, September, uh, you know, not total rut action because they weren't really in a full rut, but she got to experience elk, you know, in that in that uh, you know part of the season where they are very vulnerable and uh it's a lot of fun to hunt elk uh, when they're bugling and when you can hear them uh it's just tough country there and it's not like you can sit in glass for miles and pick out elk here elk there i mean you're literally in thickets of of you know cedars and pj where if you can see you know 60 70 yards in front of you you're doing pretty good And that's what made that hunt challenging
0: well and that that's 100 percent about that you know i mean i love i mean that area was really neat it was unique it was a different Scenario, but you know when you draw on a rifle tag, you're thinking at least what I was thinking is I was like, okay, well we prepped for a potentially, you know, 400 plus yard shot, um, hoping that it would be less than a less than 200, but with a rifle, really didn't want to be in that you know under 100 yard distance, right? We wanted to have a safe distance where the animal would be nice and calm and it'd be stationary. And what we found after a couple of days of hunting in that particular area that we were that man, we literally you know we had to get we had to get close to the elk. I mean yeah. we were literally chasing bugles. It was archery hunting, except for you had a gun in your hand. Yeah, I mean we were how many times were we within 50, 80 yards of two or three different bulls and cows? And we never did see them. Yeah, I mean that's it had that, to be had to be at least five or six different occasions. Maybe even when I wasn't with you, that I was in that situation with her, where you know there's two or three elk all talking to each other, and lo and behold, you know you're with a rifle and you cannot see anything. Yeah, and I think you and
1: I had had that discussion. You know, Saturday Sunday, ish time frame after I had went and spent a day on my own, just kind of trying to see cover country, see if I could find at least a bull that, you know, was something that we wanted to shoot, and I I came to that realization that we need to hunt these elk like it's archery hunting. We need to be aggressive, we need to set up, we need to get the wind on our side, and we just need to call and have them come in. And we had multiple times where that happened, and more times than not, we didn't even see the bull, and you knew he was, you know, 60, 70 yards away. You could hear him glunking, you could hear him bugling, you could hear him raking trees, but it's so thick in there um you know and they catch one glimmer of wind or anything sent on their side and uh, you know they're gone so um so it was tough it was definitely um uh, it was a little stressful for me because i knew how stressful it was on you and that's part of the reason why i was there was to help and and make that successful and you know at the end of the day i don't think any of us could be any happier for how that hunt
0: ended up no i mean you know i mean we had we had great Backup plans. I mean, the reality was that we had a a mature five-by-six that 99.9% of the people out there that public land elk hunt would be like, you didn't shoot that as soon as you found it? What? That, that bull hit that water hole every day in
1: light the morning work.
0: and in the evening. Yeah. Every day like clockwork with these cows. I mean we had him dead to right so we had a backup plan that in my opinion was was a slam dunk yeah and it was a mature bull what do you think the fronts on that on that five by six were 20 plus inches i mean that one front is i mean
1: it's 24 to 25 inch front i'm yeah. guessing you i know. mean
0: if his if his fifth side the would have had a six point on it We'd have probably, we would have slam dunked him for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think conservative guess is he was probably a 320 class, five by six. Yeah. You know, now maybe he was 310, 320. Sure. But he was a, you know, I mean, I think he was a five-year-old bull. He was
1: very mature. He just missed, you know, that six point, which as we know, you know, five points don't score very well. But he just had something about him. I mean, like I said, he was very mature. His fronts were the fronts that you would shoot on a you know a 350 plus class bowl he just he just lacked that uh, you know that six point on that left side so um, yeah and it was it was we had that as a backup plan we knew of another bowl that was a pretty large bowl neither you or I had seen it but the other groups in our um, camp had seen that bull, and then we had also spotted another um, tall six by six on the mountain that we had basically camped on that we hadn't turned up yet again. But um, we knew potentially could have been on some of the private land back in there. Uh, so we did have you know backup plans, but um, it's good to have a backup plan. But Absolutely. you never want to have to use it if if your primary plan works as it as it should. So. Yeah, we were we were very fortunate to harvest and had a great night that evening. Had some cup of soups for dinner since it was about 1 a.m. did a podcast uh, and then I got on the road the next day and I think you guys camped another night and took care of the elk and uh came back. So Not
0: quite sure how you pulled off getting up in the morning and getting all your stuff and getting out of there because I was absolutely fried. Yeah, it was I was night. A, I needed a, I needed an extra day to to make sure that I didn't, you know, forget something laying on the ground yeah
1: no but it was that was a great trip definitely one for the records and i think the memories we shared you know with everyone in camp and like i said family and friends was something that i'll always remember for the rest of my life
0: it's what it's all about it's what it's all about family and friends and the outdoors
1: yeah so kind of looking towards the end of the year um you've got another um, hunt on the books, you're going to be taking Wyatt, who we talked about earlier, uh, who harvested a pig hunt, or a pig this this spring, uh, to Nevada on a yeah. pretty good um, mule deer area in Nevada, which, as we know, when when most guys that apply in Nevada know that every unit in Nevada has the potential to have a good deer. Now, Absolutely. Some have obviously, you know, more trophy class potential than others, require more points, but um, in general, Nevada has the ability to shoot, you know, a 150 to a 170 class deer up to a 200-inch deer in any unit. Absolutely.
0: Right? Absolutely.
1: So, yeah, so you guys are leaving the end of October for that Yeah, hunt? I
0: think our schedule right now is we're hoping to, to leave out probably the 26th Um, I've taken the end of the week off as well as the following week. Um, And then his season actually starts October 21st, and it actually runs all the way through November 5th. But our hopes are that, you know, towards the end of November or beginning of the end, end of his hunt, the beginning of November, that there could be there could be some potential for the rut to kick in. Uh-huh. So right now, what I'm looking at is uh, I'm going to plan on hopefully a nine day run over there because it'll take it'll take 12 hours to get there. So once we get there, then then you know hopefully we'll we'll go right into hunt mode. Do need to test the long range guns because I I have scouted that area and there is the potential of shooting you know a longer 4 shot to, there. 4, four to 400 plus yards without without a doubt yeah and uh my boy is pretty pretty adequate when it comes to firing a gun as as we both know yeah um he's killed well he killed his his first black tail at 644 yards so i mean <laughs> that's kind of it's kind of nuts but yeah. at the same time you he's, know he's a he's a calm collected um Cold-blooded killer, I think, is what what he is. I was is. gonna say bullet sender, but cold-blooded yeah. killer works too.
1: Yeah, he's <laughs> he's got ice in his veins for sure. Yeah. So you had you had gone and scouted um, this unit. Um, you had went up and spent some time on business, and had an opportunity to spend a day or two looking around. Kind of what. Overall, I mean, what did you see in terms of topography, um, you know, landscape? I mean, is it is it conducive to potentially holding a good deer, a couple good deer, you think?
0: You know what? And here's here's the funny part is um, this is a 111 to 114 hunt in Nevada for those people that know the geographical area. That's outside of Ely. I, you know, I've been to Nevada numerous times. Been up to the Reno area, realized there was some hills there. Drove out through and across Nevada a couple different times. Most of the time when you head out in Nevada, if anybody could see what Lucas and I are looking at right now, it's flat with some roly-poly hills and a whole bunch of sagebrush. Mm-hmm. In my brain, that's what it was going to be like. Yet, when I got there to Ely, Nevada, which is, you know, four or 5,000 foot elevation and looked at the mountains behind it, you go, oh my gosh, this looks like the Gooddale scenario where, you know, you've got peaks that run right up twelve thousand feet and it's like, it was beautiful up there, man. Yeah. You you have to you have to go to see it. But it's one of those places that, you know, I was like, that was great. I mean, you know, the lowland had the farms down at the edges of the mountains and then the pinion and the juniper and then it'd go up into the valleys and then all of a sudden you'd hit the timber and then you'd go above the timber line and you're like Dude, this is this is incredible. Yeah. And and the really when you look at that area in my mind, man, it screams Mule Deer. It screams Mule Deer. We we scouted a couple different areas. We didn't see a huge concentration of bucks, but we did see two bucks. Uh, Wyatt and I saw a really nice, probably twenty eight inch four by four wide, but he had he had small forks on him, but he was super wide. I, I don't know. I'm with, you know, it kind of, kind some of sucks us, you in a little bit. Yeah. Some of us like my dad and myself, whenever it gets wide, you start getting a little stupid and you're thinking just shoot it and we'll figure it out later. Yeah. But um, we'll count points later. It's really yeah, wide. Exactly. It's really wide. It might be a two point, but it's really wide. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I think I think this area has harvested some 200 class deer. And then what's funny is I was watching a hunting TV show just the other day. And all of a sudden they showed a scene and I'm like, wait a second, that's Ely, Nevada. And next thing I know, they're doing an archery hunt right there. Yeah. And we are, we are literally looking, they hunted in the same area that we're going to be hunting. They were just bow hunting and they killed a really nice 185 class deer. And they saw numerous other ones that were, that were, in my opinion, better than the deer that they ended up killing. Wow. So... Okay. Well, I mean, that's,
1: that's good to see some of that. And, um, you know, like I say, with having been there, I know you had, you'd hooked up with some folks that got you some information about some different places to drive and some different places to look. But, you know, after having going there and seeing some of that and getting some intel, I mean, what... What do you see as, you know, I guess a projection for Wyatt? I mean, I know the, the, the selfish side of you says we're going to shoot a big deer, but I mean, realistically, what, I mean, what, what do you think you and also Wyatt would be happy with I, going I would there?
0: say my expectations are I, I don't really want to shoot a deer smaller than about a 150 class deer, but at the same time, um, if something cool and unique pops up, you know, that might, that might change. I'd really like him to shoot an old age class deer is what I'd like him to do. Something with mass, maybe something a little freaky weird. But at the same time, you know, I talked to a friend of mine that that lives there, and uh, his boy actually has an early season, which ends, I think, the weekend of the 27th, 28th of October. He actually, um, he was telling me he thought that, you know, a 160 to 170 class deer was definitely doable in that area, yeah. as long as we had the time to spend, you know, and as long as, you know, Trigger Happy Wyatt doesn't, you know, doesn't accidentally shoot something smaller. Yeah. Well... Wyatt knows, I mean, he, like I said, he's hunted a lot of
1: Plains game in Africa, and he's he's harvested some really good animals in the States, I, he's got a pretty good knack for knowing, you know, what's a good deer, what's not a good deer, obviously having you there is, is going to be huge, but, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if he's looking at a buck that he's happy with, and one that's like, Dad, I really like that deer, he's got, you know, some trash, he's got some some stickers on him, and some kickers, heck, you know, that may be the buck that, you know, he's happy with, and, and uh, you know, again, he he's got a lot of, you know, uh, road ahead of him for, yeah. you know, for shooting some good deer. You know, it's just, it's always worrisome to me when, you know, if, if the 200 plus inch deer shows up and he <laughs> shoots it and then dad looks at it and says, man, I may never shoot a deer like this. And he's yeah. got another 60 years of hunting like that.
0: But well, and the funny part is I, I mentally in the back of my head, I, I, I thought, man, I, I don't know if I really want to go back to that drainage where I saw that twenty eight. possibly 30 inch wide flat four by four because i'd probably be like son i I think that one's good right there you know first first morning of of our hunt up there i'll be like yeah uh yeah if you want to shoot that one we're good let's go yeah you
1: definitely want to like i said i mean even in this in this scenario you want to have some backup plans you want to have if you know there's a a deer hanging out in a couple drainages right you want to make sure that you've got that um in the backup but you know, if you see a big deer in the first couple of days, and I mean, like big is big. you guys are going to be getting into the kind of the middle part of the season and then hunting it out till the end. Um, if you see something that's good, I mean, it'd be hard pressed not to, you know, to no. pull the trigger on it. So,
0: yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, if he, if he sees a three by four that's a 150 class deer and he gets all jacked up, I'm, I'm not going to stop him. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, this is going to be a fun hunt. I'm hoping that we see lots of deer. I'm hoping we see a lot of, you know, small forked horns and three points running around and doing dumb things, standing out in the middle of the road, or or five or six different groups of deer in one little valley that we can spend, you know, four or five hours, you know, walking a ridgeline glass and different groups of deer where it's like every time you turn around, it's like oh, there's 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 another deer, there's another deer, you yeah. know, and if you know how your blood gets pumping because every time i see a deer the first thing i think of is if the rut's sort of coming on is he here is is the big one here sure and and if you you keep that momentum going and you look at enough deer sooner or later you're gonna find a good deer
1: yeah absolutely and i i'm kind of looking forward um i'm gonna be doing a late season mule deer hunt in montana over thanksgiving so i'm gonna be taken up, um, Brandon and I are going to drive up to Montana and spend, you know, about 10 days going after mule deer the week of Thanksgiving, which is right in the heart of yeah. rut in Montana. So, um, Wish my tag was was thirty days <laughs> later. Oh my oh, God! Man. Yeah. So it, it, and that's you know one thing about Montana. You know, you pay a little more being a non-resident to hunt there, but you essentially can start hunting the first weekend in September all the way to Thanksgiving because your tag is good for archery season. It's good for rifle season, um, and it's good for any of the general units. So. This gives us an opportunity to uh, get up there and, uh, you know, have some fun with some mule deer in the rut. And uh, like I say, you never know. You see a lot of different bucks uh, during the rut season. A lot of bucks you never see um, during the course of the year show up, you know. And as long as you can turn up some does, you're probably going to find a buck somewhere within close proximity during that time of year. So we're looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, that should be a blast that you guys are getting ready to do that. And you get to go up and spend some time with your mom. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. I,
1: one for of these sure.
0: one of these days, I'd like to, I'd love to take the kids up and go to Montana and, and do something like that with you. That'll be a yeah. That'll be on on the bucket list yep. of of stuff to do. Yeah, we'll plan that
1: and uh, going to Colorado. I'm leaving actually next week for uh, just an over the counter second season tag. So that's exciting. I always enjoy Colorado is one of the highlights of my year when I get to go. I just enjoy being in Colorado and being in the mountains there something about it uh and you know obviously there's a ton of wildlife there usually always see a couple really giant deer while i'm there uh and uh hopeful to turn up you know a good bowl this year and put some more meat in the freezer and maybe another nice set of antlers on the wall that's always now, a plus now, folks, but you
0: do realize he said i always seem to turn up a couple of giant mule deer but then he also said I only have an elk tag in my pocket. Yeah, that's kind of a problem
1: in Colorado,
0: you know. That's isn't that the way it is? It I mean, is. a couple of those coos deer we saw. Oh, geez This last trip, and you and I are like, ah, bah, bah, bah. we're not even coos deer hunters, and we know that those are just absolute stompers. Or that big mule deer we saw. Yeah. And you know, we're looking at each other like, man, never fails. You have an elk tag in your pocket. What do you see? A monster deer.
1: And that's what happens. A few years ago, Unit 22, which is now a 15-point unit in Colorado, we saw a giant mule deer, you know, foot outside his ears and uh, from over a mile away. And we applied and drew the tag the next year and didn't turn up a forking horn that whole season. You know, it's just it's amazing how, um, that happens, you know, and that's, like you said, that's when it's going to happen. When you have an elk tag in your pocket, you're going to turn up a mule deer that, uh, you know, would
0: probably go book for sure. But yeah, that's hunting. That's hunting. Actually, that's funny that Nevada tag that the boy has, um, you know, that's a phenomenal elk unit. And I have a sneaking suspicion that while we're there deer hunting, it's, it's karma. That's always what it is. Yeah. My gut tells me we're going to probably find one of those. Pretty and good bowl. If that happens, it's going to be off the charts. Well, the hard part's going to be is how are you going to keep your lenses or
1: your glass off those elk when you're really there looking for, you know, for deer. Well,
0: but, come on, you and I, you know me pretty well. Ninety percent of the time when I'm elk hunting, I'm actually looking for deer. Yeah, that's and, true. And the big tan body just accidentally materializes, and I'm like, oh, look, there's a whole bunch of elk. Instead of the other way around, so... Or when we're deer hunting, you know, just a bunch of really big sheep
1: show up, you know,
0: right after... Uh, oh, my God. That, that was incredible. <laughs> you know, and they don't even have a tag in that unit. That I is, know. That's just nuts, dude. Nuts. That, was,
1: that was That was pretty neat. I mean, we saw elk, sheep, and deer in the same day within a few hours of each other, you know, all in the morning in, in that in that unit in the eastern Sierras. That was just incredible. It was neat being up there and seeing all that. Well, folks, um, that kind of wraps up our year to date recap of 2017. Uh, we still have, you know, a good fair amount of hunting left to do. We've kind of worked our way through the archery season. Um, like I said, I'll be Colorado, Montana for mule deer. And then I'm tentatively looking at potentially doing the December 15th, to 31st over the counter archery coos deer tag. Um, We'll see if that materializes or not, um, but would like to try to get out maybe one more time this year with my bow uh, and try to uh, at least get something uh, else on the on the board. But if not, uh, it's, I could say I've had a pretty good season so far, and even if it ended today, I would say I've had a pretty successful season. So. I was
0: going to say, from my standards, if your season ended yesterday, <laughs> or the day before actually, I would say that you had a off-the-charts awesome season.
1: Yeah, it's been a good year, and to, like I say, turn up a, a good bull in Colorado, I'm going to be a little picky based on the fact that, you know, I've got, uh, you know, 10 days to hunt and uh, also have a rifle that has the potential to shoot, uh, you know, longer distances than I've had in the past. So, and I think back... Tuscama optics, baby. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we're going to go shoot the rifles hopefully this weekend and just try to get a last minute dial on them before we go. But um, this specific area that I hunt in Colorado has always, I've turned up good bulls every year the problem was is they were a thousand yards away and i couldn't close the distance on those elk so this year might be a little different story for me just with the fact that i do have the opportunity or the potential to you know to shoot farther distances um you know with a rifle that's basically set up to do that so i'm i'm looking forward to doing that for sure
0: well i tell you as you you already know because i've told you this for the last 10 years that once you uh get a gun like that and you actually shoot it and practice with it and become where it's your personal best friend, you kind of like feel sorry for things that you start going after because in your brain, when you could ring a bell at a thousand yards, you start thinking, man, things are in trouble around me. And then when they get into the 400 yard range, you're like, oh man, that's, I feel sorry for because it's like you're so close, yeah. you know, only 400 yards. You're so. close. I gotta turn the power down on my scope, yeah. <laughs> you know. But you know that's that's technology, and that's that's what we do. So. It is.
1: Oh baby, that? I think that's our cue. Little little Jones. Ready for the Rolling, rolling Stones. stones. Well, that's one of the things we do while we're on the road, is we like to listen to country music, so. Jason's going to rock the juice box. rock
0: the juice box.
1: Juice box, okay.
0: Playing on. Come on, guys. <laughs> Everybody doesn't know the song. Just sing along. Thank you so much for listening to the RNA podcast. That's we'll right. We'll be back to you real soon with another great episode of a whole bunch of whacking and stacking and having some fun. Until the next time, stay tuned to your local Garth Carter. No. Garth, Garth Jensen. Brooks. No. Alan Jackson Station. <laughs> Woohoo! All right. Thanks, folks. And with that, we'll turn her down.
1: This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded, and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast in addition under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel please leave a review and a 5 star rating these reviews help boost our popularity and outreach you can also follow us on our social media outlets Twitter at RNA Outdoors Facebook RNA Outdoors and Instagram Rod and Arrow Outdoors all links are in the show notes as well